Welcome to Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. This podcast is for people who want to learn how to thrive with a disability. It is also designed to share insights for those who have friends or family with a disability. Brad Gabrielson, our host, was born with cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair for mobility. He is a North Dakota native and believes life is about managing challenges with understanding, mental toughness, and determination. Hi, my name is Brad Gables, and welcome to another episode of Living with a Disability No Big Deal podcast. Last time we were on, we talked uh, talked about an individual by the name of Kitty Cohn. She was a disabled advocate um, for the um, disabled rights. Um, so uh, today we're talking about, today we have some guests, Greg Mullins, special guest, Dr. Morgan Morgan J. Foster. How are you guys? Doing well, Brad. Hi, Brad. Hello. Dr. Foster, welcome to the show and thanks for taking time out of your schedule today. My pleasure. All right. And uh, we're just going to read a little bit. Uh, Dr. Morgan Foster uh, has a condition. It's uh, albinism. Albinism is a rare a group of genetic disorders that cause the skin, hair, or eyes to have little or no color. Uh, Albinism is also associated with vision problems. According to the National Organization for Albinism and Hypopigmentation, about one in 18 to 20,000 people in the United States have some form, uh, 20,000 per year. Uh, no, no cure exists, but skin can be protected and the eye conditions can be treated. What causes albinism? A defect in one of several genes that produce or distribute melanin uh, causes albinism. Melanin, melanin is, of course, what, what provides skin tone. So welcome, doctor. Uh, can you just provide us just a little bit about your background to, to get started a little bit? Sure. Uh, so I grew up in rural North Dakota, about 23 miles uh, northeast of Jamestown on the family farm. I have two older brothers. I graduated from a rural country school, got my bachelor's degree from the University of North Dakota, and then I went on for my master's and doctorate in public health. Currently, I'm a senior program coordinator for an agency that serves people with disabilities. It's Easter Seals Goodwill of North Dakota. Wow. Well, that has got to be uh, an exciting position and also uh, pretty varied. I'm sure that you see uh, a lot of different things working with Easter Seals in that capacity, I would imagine, huh? Yep, we have a variety of people. Um, We have some with mobility issues. We have some with uh, intellectual disabilities, developmental disabilities, some mental illness. Uh, We also serve the population um, of people who are older. They're not quite ready for assisted living or the nursing home. So we go in and assist them as well, maintain that home life that they wanna keep. So, so that's Easter Seals of North Dakota then, huh? Yeah, Easter Seals Goodwill. In North Dakota, Easter Seals together. Goodwill. Okay. Yeah. And so 
I would assume then there's different programs or something or different, uh, you know, funds are, are used to, to treat people uh, in and out of the home or how does that work? Well, you know, it kind of depends on the disability. You know, those people who may have the developmental disability or the intellectual disability go through the, what's called a DD waiver. Um, the other side of it, what we call aging is just what they happen to call it. Those are the ones who aren't ready for the nursing home. They can either go through the county if they're on Medicaid and qualify for services, or we do have a private pay option for those people that they can pay out of pocket to have us come in and help them. So there is a whole bunch of different funding sources based on uh, what the caseworkers find out. So a lot of flexibility, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's no uh, no cookie cutter deal when you're talking about working with the uh, disabilities because it, like you said, it can be, you know, a learning disability or mentally challenged or have some physical issue or anything in between, so. Yeah, and we have a, a program that's called in-home supports. That's where usually, uh, people with the disability are still living at home with their families. So we go and kind of, as that second set of hands, maybe go sit with them while the one, you know, goes to a medical appointment or, so yeah, you're right. It's a variety of, of things that we provide. Oh, sure. Doctor, is, is your services cheaper in the long run than a nursing home in your opinion? You know, in my opinion, I have nothing really to do with the financial side. Like our private pay program, it's called Goodwill Home Connection. That's a set fee that is set forth by the state if people can afford it. But other than that, I don't even know. I don't know how much a nursing home costs. I really just staff the people who need the support and our administrative office takes care of all the billing and financing. So in your position, are you during the, during the COVID and everything, were you had, were you uh, forced to work remotely then or? No, we uh, were able really? to work. I was able, I should say to work in the office. Of course we had to follow all the mandates, the masks, the social distancing for a while there, we weren't letting anybody in the office that sort of thing. I only missed when I actually got COVID Oh, for those 10 days. And then I was allowed to work from home, but otherwise I hadn't missed a day. Oh, wow. That's incredible because uh, <laughs> there's like a very high rate of people had, uh, were forced to work remotely with all of that uh, stuff going on. But uh you know, and in our position, because we coordinate, you know, we have a big region, we have 40 staff, over 50 people we support, it's easier to be able to come to the office, because that's where our books are, you know, the copy machine, all that stuff. But, you know, yeah. you make it work when you have to work from home. Yeah, it certainly makes it more efficient when you're in an office environment for getting your getting your stuff done. So right. I have a question here. In looking at it, I am not a pro or an expert on uh, albinism, but I did see some information where it listed a what looked like a quite a long list on the different forms of albinism. Can you just tell us a little bit about what form that you have and, and what that means? You know, I don't know if 
see, I don't use the word form. I guess there's different levels of severity. Okay. So I'm the typical, you know, definition of albinism. I have the pale skin, pale hair, bad vision. Um, but there is an ocular albinism where people have pigment, but their vision's affected. Oh. Um, but now, like, the way the vision is affected can vary based on the person. And one of the biggest common myths with albinism is that we all have red eyes. Mine are a pale blue. But the severity, if it's bad enough, the eyes can have a pink tint to them, oh, but it's okay. not everybody. So... My severity is probably in the middle. Um, I know a couple girls who their vision, one is better than mine and one is worse than mine. So I would say more of level of severity for albinism. Okay. So for the, for the vision issues, then they just try to uh, use corrective lenses to do the best they can or? Pretty much because, you know, you're born with it. So your eyes are born in their position that kind of thing. So they may be off a little bit compared to where somebody without albinisms might be. So they, they correct as much as they can, but they'll never, I want to say, improve or get better. Like okay. I've been stable for a long time now, you know, but sometimes I have a bad year and I might slip a little bit. Now I just uh -huh. did my vision exam last year and I was up a little bit. So it just kind of depends and i have astigmatism on top of the albinism ah. so that means my eyes move so that makes it even harder so but yeah it just kind of depends so is it uh with the vision problems that uh, people with albinism have you know like in the, in the general population you have farsightedness you have nearsightedness is that the same i mean you might be nearsighted but you're your pal that has it uh, might be farsighted and so on or you know I don't I think we just can't see the best you know okay. like for me I can drive in the daylight but I can't at night I oh have I see magnifying glasses you know it might be hard for me to read one of the big signs you know that kind of thing but if somebody's eyes are a little better they could maybe drive at night oh I see so that's where the levels of severity kind of come into play and how you, their eyes were built. Sure. So the restrictions would be basically dependent upon where they lie on the spectrum of uh, severity for their. It, it basically with the vision, it boils down to your visual acuity. Okay. And what you can be corrected to like your obviously 2020 is perfect almost. It's 2060 to be able to drive in the daylight and 2080 to be able to drive at night. I see. No, I have that backwards. Sorry. 2080 to drive in the daylight, 2060 to drive at night. Oh. So I've never been able to drive at night ever because I can, I've never been, I go anywhere between 2060 to 2080. Is that right? Okay. So when it's light, obviously you're able to see much better than. Well, you know, I've noticed, uh, you know, as I've gotten older, even, uh, I mean, I've got vision, <laughs> I've got uh, pretty bad vision. I'm very nearsighted, very, very nearsighted. And it seems like as a guy gets older, driving at night in general just isn't as fun or as uh, easy as it, as it used to do. Yes, as it used to be. So um, 
I I've think heard that, that from even my parents with them aging and other people. It's just getting the, the lights are so bright. It's just hard for them to see. Yeah. And it just seems like uh, driving uh, you know, on the highway or on the interstate or where there's turns. It's just they come up a lot faster than they used to. But I have a question. How does your condition affect you in your daily life? For example, does it affect? Well, we can't kind of answer that question. So just yeah. answer the first part. So affecting my daily life, you know, I've learned how to live with it. Obviously, you know, the computer screens, I can make bigger so I can see them. I have three pairs of glasses, my regular glasses, prescription sunglasses, magnifying glasses. Uh, maybe a good example, say I went to a restaurant or if I go to Burger King, I might not be able to see the, the menu up on the board behind the counter. So that's just an everyday thing. Street signs are a little hard for me to see. You know, sometimes you go to a town and they're nice and big and I can see them. The next place I go, I can't really see them. So. So uh, for just indoors, things like that, every life is pretty normal for you. I mean, as far as uh, I mean, operating indoors or depending upon, I suppose, how dark it is or whatever in a house or room or a building or. Yeah, you know, so outside, of course, the sun is really bright, really hard on me. So that's why I have the prescription sunglasses. Um, inside, I, it's, it's kind of silly, maybe, but I have to have my light off in the office because it's too bright. Oh, but sure. I need, but I need light to see better, if that makes sense. So the natural light works way better than the light in my office because that fluorescent light just really is hard on my my eyes yeah and i think that's just uh that unnatural light is just harsh anyway i think it's well it's gloomy for one for one thing you feel like you're in a in a clinic but um but oftentimes it's just uh depending upon how bright it is it's just hard on a person's eyes in general so i can't imagine you know the effect it would have on someone's eyes if they were you know challenged that way so you know, and then as far as like, um, obviously having the pale skin, my skin can't turn tan like most people. So then I just burn really bad. Um, so now that it's getting in the 70s, 80s, I have to be careful. I have sunscreen in my vehicle, you know, in my apartment, my parents' house, because if I'm going to be outside a lot, I definitely have to keep reapplying the sunscreen or I will burn very bad and it won't take long. So in other words, if somebody was out there for an hour in the sun and they end up getting a burn, you would be a fraction of that time maybe, huh? Yeah, like if it's, um, I can get sunburnt in March when it's 30 degrees. Oh, if sure. If I'm outside all day, but then come summer when it's 90, 95, I'll start burning within probably 15 minutes. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so I either try to stay in the shade I'll wear a, a light weight, long sleeve shirt, a, a cap of some kind, just to try to alleviate. Cause I, you know, growing up, you know, you don't think you need sunscreen and. Oh, of course not. You know, I had a really, really bad burn, bad burn and I peeled and it was horrible. So I said, never again. Oh my. And when you were younger. Yeah. So. And so you said, uh, not doing this again. Yeah. So then as I got older, I'm like, well, you know, I don't want skin cancer. So, 
don't get me wrong. There's a time, you know, I'll just go outside and just stand in the sun just to feel the warmth and stuff. But then I, I go back in, you know, you know, and that's, you know, and that's kind of with everybody it has to kind of be cognizant, be aware of the skin cancer, but, uh, with the condition that, that you have there, I imagine that the, uh, the percentage is uh, way higher as far as getting skin cancer. Yeah, I'm not sure on the statistics, but I would say, because it wouldn't take me long to get like a third degree burn on my neck if I stayed out oh in the my hot, gosh. hot weather. And... So you've been fortunate enough so far to not have contracted any skin cancer, huh? Right. She's very, very, she's very um, conscientious about that. When it gets hot, she wears long sleeve shirts. <laughs> you know, well, don't get me wrong, it's hot, but I'll be hot rather than fight with skin cancer. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and it's something about those sunburns, I can still remember, you know, as a young, younger teenager being out, you know, in the sun all day and it's one of the absolutely most painful, I think, things that you can go through when your back or your upper body or your arms or neck is so burnt that you can just sit and say, don't even look at me because it hurts to move. And uh, just dobbing on the old... Um, aloe vera or something. The aloe vera, yep. Dobbing on a gallon of aloe vera juice, but uh, and then the peeling and stuff. So yeah, you do that, you know, once or twice and, uh, you, you learn you, quick. <laughs> yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that sunscreen deal, that's, uh, you know, in March, that sun is so on, um, so intense, you know, so strong in March. So, uh, but what about in like, uh, you know, November, December, you know, when the sun is less intense, is there less of risk, but still, you gotta, still gotta be, uh, precautious or. You know, in the winter months, I don't, um, I'm obviously not outside as much. Oh, sure. You know, and then when I do have to walk because I can't drive at night, I'm, I'm bundled up and everything. So, you know, it's just once it's nice enough where you don't need all those layers and especially just like my face, if it's nice in March and I'm doing something, I'll be like, oh, I got sunburned today and it was 32. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if anybody of, uh, else would, but I did. <laughs> yeah, the joys of living up uh, in the Northland is uh, when it's 32, everybody takes their uh, jackets their, off, you know, their t-shirts and shorts on. Uh, where in the other parts of the country, they just about shut things down and and yep. uh, go into hibernation mode if it hits 40. You know, so that's that's right. And uh, and have you always lived up here um, in the Northland, up in North Dakota? Yep, my uh, great grandparents homesteaded the farm and just have always stayed here. I'm a homebody. Uh, Eccleston, North Dakota, is my my hometown. There's nothing there much anymore, but well, there's a there's a sign on the highway. There is. That's about it. I drive by it on the way to, to Jamestown every couple of weeks. Um, small town. Yeah, you know, but like all small towns, it used to be booming. It had everything, and now. You know, our Eccleston doesn't even have a bar. So that's how oh, it's dwindled. That's telling. Yeah. When you yeah. have, I mean, if you don't have a bar, you're uh, dying. That's small because usually if there's like 12 people in a town, there's a bar. Mm. That's right. <laughs> uh, so was there a school in Eccleston that you yep. attended or? No, I didn't. My parents attended it. They graduated in the 60s. Okay. 
and then it consolidated with other smaller schools. Oh, sure. And they built a new school out in the country, and that's where I went. Okay. So. What was the name of your school? My school was called North Central of Barnes. Um, it's located by Rogers, North Dakota. It's no longer a school. It ended up consolidating again, which is weird because, you know, mom and dad went through a consolidation. Then I went through a consolidation. So now there's another new school that was built out in the country that everybody consolidated to. So Wow. So basically just merging and merging to, uh, to make it work with the resources, I suppose, as best they can. But still, it's... Uh... You know, there's good and pros and cons to that, too, you know. Well, and, you know, you figure people back in the day with, like, mom and dad, everybody farmed. Everybody farmed, and now people aren't farming as much unless you're the bigger farmers. And people are going into town or the city to get a better-paying job. So the smaller schools are just out in the country are getting smaller and smaller. Oh, sure. Sure. So... As far as school, your school years and stuff, that was pretty run of the mill as far as uh, you didn't have any uh, any uh, hurdles or burdens that uh, presented themselves in the school environment or? Well, you know, I did because kids are mean. When you look different, you're going to get picked on. And I started kindergarten in the 80s. And, oh. you know, back then nobody wore glasses. I had to get glasses in kindergarten. So, you know, people made fun of you then and. And then being pale and stuff, you know, I got picked on quite a bit. Yeah, I, yeah, the kids are definitely mean. There's, I think they actually have gotten meaner than they were back in the uh, 70s and, and 80s when you talk to the, some of the grandkids now. And it's like, they're doing what in school? And, uh, but yeah, I got <laughs> stuck on the glasses and getting picked on. Yeah, people didn't, you know, because... Um, but it was the seventies and I uh, had gotten glasses for the first time. I think it was, uh, I think it was third grade and uh, I hit them in the, in the, uh, in my desk and the teacher's like, Greg, uh, didn't, did you just get glasses, you know, in front of the class? And I'm like, uh, glasses. Hmm. So she made me take them out of the desk, put them on. And of course uh, the kids make fun of you because you have glasses and uh and I don't know if that probably doesn't go on anymore, but yeah, I, I mean, I can see uh, uh, getting picked on and whatnot. And, uh, and so I'm sure as you grew older and you got into the higher grades that, you know, things maybe changed a little bit for you there. You know, kind of, you still got called names. You still got picked on. I guess maybe with age, you learn to handle it a little better, maybe. Oh, sure, sure. You know, but I i mean, I couldn't wait to get done with high school. Don't get me wrong. Oh, sure. Move on to the next a, phase. Yeah. You know, and even as an adult, I've had people just walk right up to me. People I don't even know be like, oh, are you albino? Really? Well, hi, how are you? You know, that yeah. kind of thing. They just, that? I, you know. That's really crass. And it is. And I actually was at Walmart once probably six, seven years ago, and a lady came up behind me, and I'm not not ex at all exaggerating when I say this, didn't know who she was. She comes up behind me in the checkout line and starts rubbing her hand through my hair. Oh, my gosh. 
And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I guess I should have asked first, but I just had to touch your white hair. Well, for crying out loud, do you think? <laughs> so I, I mean, was like, holy cats, you know, and I've actually had people ask me, can I touch your hair? Because, you know, it's rare. Um, and a lot of people, they see the whiteness. And nowadays, though, people are trying to bleach their hair white. Of course. You know, so it's a little more common. But yeah, growing up, people were, oh, can I touch your hair? I've never seen such white hair. And it's like I'm normal in every other way. I just don't have any color. Yep, that's right. But yeah, people coming up and, and bluntly ask, that is really blunt. That is, uh, that is well, uncouth. Rude, you know? It's kind of rude, you know. Mm. But it, It's it, very rude. And you'd think if people were over the age of like 12, you know, that they, they, they should know better. Yeah. But, you know, now as I'm getting older, I've learned just like whatever people are uneducated, they're, they're inconsiderate, they're conceited, they just don't. Just because I have white hair doesn't mean I'm any different. Well, and I think it's all of the above, you know, it's, it's ignorance because they don't know. And it's also the other things about, you know, just being, uh, just being stupid about it. Um, right. realizing that, um, you know, like Brad always says, everybody has something, everybody has a disability and everybody is the same type, you know, person. We're all created the same, right, Brad? That's exactly it. God made us, made us all the same, basically. We're all pink in the middle, aren't we, Brad? We sure are. <laughs> 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 Wonder you would say that. Well, somebody said that to me once. <laughs> you know what? You may have white hair, I have brown hair, but we're all pink in the middle. <laughs> we are, I guess, when you look at it that way. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. But uh, in a sense, I'm glad we didn't have the internet like we do now in the social, social. Um, Media. Activity. Yeah, like Facebook and stuff back when we went to school. Because I think the bullying would have been really bad in the 70s and 80s. We did. You know, when I was picked on in school, people, the old-fashioned way, took a piece of paper and a pen and wrote me a nasty note. And, like, oh, put it in my desk or something. You know, now everything is just videotaped, put on Facebook. Everybody stands there and watches it. So I think in a sense, it is worse for the people getting bullied now than it was for me. Oh, sure. Well, sure. they can kind of broadcast it, you know, I mean, the old school and they scratch a note and, you know, I mean, that's, that's not right. And it certainly uh, can be hurtful, but it's not like broadcast where somebody else is clicking like, and they're sharing it. And now this, this, this child or whoever it is, uh, you know, it's out there and it can have, you know, a pretty bad emotional effect on, on kids these days. You know, I mean, I mean, you even hear of the extreme, you know, where these kids are getting so bullied or feel at least, you know, that it's uh, so bad that it's not even worth being around anymore. And that's very tragic. Some of that bullying going on now. And, uh, you know, like I said before, I, I think, uh, you know, kids are almost they're they're at least just as mean you know when they see somebody that's different it's the attack mode you know well that makes you wonder though how they're being raised at home 
or the group mentality, you know, exactly. And, you know, and what is going on with the parent? Does the parent not see any, anything wrong with this child? And, and, uh, but it all comes back to, yeah, what's going on at home and how's that being handled? Because you tends to be so much of a group mentality when it's, um, people are, don't usually do that one-on-one, but when there's a few others, then all of a sudden strength in numbers and, you know, now we can pick an attack at, at the weak one or the different one or the one that, you know, stands out a little, a little bit from the rest. So, yeah, um, I think you're right on the social media bit, but. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad we don't have, we didn't have social media when we were younger. I mean, I just got I just got used to the old time internet when we started. So, what's your interest? Can you tell us a little bit about it? You know, really, I work so much. I don't do much else. Um, That's a common answer on this program. You know, I have three jobs. I do like to. um, I'm, I'm trying to get back into karate. I've always had a love for martial arts. Um, not very good at it, but I like it. Um, well, that's fantastic. You know, other than that, I just, I don't do much. There's only so many hours in the day and it sounds like you uh, have a lot of them uh, covered already. Yep. How many jobs do you actually have, Doc? Well, three in this line of work. I have two part-time jobs elsewhere with different agencies and then I help a neighbor lady a couple times a day. And then, of course, you know, I have another friend who would like my help when I have it. We have the time. Oh, my. So if I could clone myself, things would be so much better. Then you'd be, you'd be in fine shape, right? Yeah, literally. Yes, I would. So martial arts. You know, I did some of that. Uh, obviously, I can't now. I'm in, uh, you know, kind of uh, paralyzed <laughs> a little bit from the from the waist down. So I'm most of the time in a wheelchair, but uh, I remember uh, doing Taekwondo back in the eighties, late eighties, yeah. early nineties. And, uh, and that was really good stuff. So, I mean, it's fun learning that stuff. It's good. To, well, it's good for fitness and stretching and all that stuff. You know, on the self-defense part, you know, especially nowadays, you just don't know what's going to happen. If I can kind of defend myself, that's great. You know, Especially with all the walking I do and. Well, you just, you know, you just never know. I mean, it's, you hate to say that, but you know, things, uh, things are kind of changing a little bit. So any little bit that you can do, yeah, it certainly uh, is a bonus if you can defend yourself and have some skills where uh, it's actually probably more of an element of surprise to the uh, would be attacker that, uh, figures out, well, wait a minute, this is, this isn't as easy as a target as I thought. And, uh, they'll move along. So. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I was, I'm curious, do you know any, any other, uh, like, uh, famous people that might have the same condition you do? You know, none that would like stick out. There have been, um, people with albinism who have become models. I think there's some country where there's a, a, a kid who's 23 with albinism and he's a popular singer, but I don't, 
you know, in the United States, I'm not sure. Yeah, you don't you don't hear of it very much, do you? It no. must be a, and plus it's a rather rare condition, right? Yeah, you know, and some say Anderson Cooper might have have it, but is that right? But you know, when you look at his young pictures, he has brown hair and stuff. So I don't know if he does or or what happened there. Um, but that's the yeah. only one who I've maybe heard in the United States who might have albinism. But his skin is white now. White yeah. Hair. So I don't know. Maybe he does. I'm not sure. Yeah. But other than that, no, it's not. You know, it's not that common. Well, is it something that if you have it, you have it? Yeah. You're born with it and you don't, it just doesn't happen, you know, after a month or a year or you basically, no, it's, it's in the genetics and you are, that's how you're born. It's hereditary. So okay. both sides of the family have to have it somewhere. That's why it's a recessive gene. Okay. And it just happened to be that my mother and dad, I was the one, you know, but when I asked them, neither one of them can think back as far as they can remember of anyone in their families having it. So it could skip many generations and all of a sudden you have that right match between the husband and wife and then there it is. But now for me, if I wanted to have kids, I'd yep. have a 50-50 chance of having a child with albinism because I'm already, I already have it. Oh, it's a 50-50 deal, huh? Yeah, because if he doesn't have the recessive gene, then we would have children with you know normal colored hair and stuff because i'm already the recessive gene if that oh you sense. already have the recessive gene okay yeah i was yep. I, I that's i thought how that kind of worked and and if you have a combination of like where the the husband and the wife both have the recessive recessive gene then it must be that there's a chance or or does it hap does it happen 100 percent? you know it's just it's literally it's a chance it's literally that one egg and that one sperm both have to have the recessive gene in them. Oh, wow. That's why it's so rare. Okay. Yeah. It's not just carrying the recessive gene, but then the chance that they, uh, it, they end up into the, I mean, matching up down to the. Conception. Frankly, yeah. let's be honest. You know, my two older brothers were brown hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, brown eyes. And then here comes me. You know, it's just. <laughs> That one egg and that one sperm that happened to meet, and then here I am. Which How is kind of weird when you think about it, because it could have been five generations ago, and then it just happened to be when mom and dad, you know, there it comes. So well, many, that, uh, makes it, that makes it special, Doc. Makes me new, unique, Brad. Definitely. You're very unique, that's for sure. But I so like... Many how many do you have in your family? How many boys and or sisters and brothers? Quite a few or? Oh, uh, no, just two older brothers. Oh, okay. All right. So they took care of, uh, they, they took care of you, Doc, when you were growing up then, right? Looked out for well, you? Kind of. You know, they were nine and five years older. So okay. Oh, while they, okay. While they were around, they did, you know, nobody. Nobody, nobody screws with, with. With little sister. Don't yep. mess with little sister. Yeah, it can be. Uh, I, know, I know how that goes, so. Do you have any hidden talents, Dr. Foster, that you would like to talk about? Any talents? Any hidden talents. Hidden talents, huh? Yeah, like do you sing or do you? No, I don't have a lick of musical. 
no yeah. dancing, no break dancing, anything like no, that. No twerking or nothing like that. You know, really, I'm a boring person, frankly. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't draw. I'm not an artsy person. You know, I can sing to the radio like everybody, but I don't. Uh, but you can't carry a tune. No, I can with the radio. Yeah, the radio. yeah. Well, no. you sound pretty much like most other people that uh, yeah. most people yeah. don't have. Uh, you know, either the time or any special talents other than trying to trying to have the time they have off to do whatever hobby they might have, whether it's read or go fishing or spend time with the kids or bike ride or walk or whatever, you know. Right. Uh, so I think that's more the more the common than, than not, Brad. So what about your hidden talents, Brad? Uh, I don't have any other talking. <laughs> You've got a lot of good ideas. Well, I'm an idea man, but some of them are way out there. And they're hard to bring back in the reality, I think. But uh, you're, you're the idea man. So, yeah, I think uh, the podcast has been really good at, at just bringing in a whole diverse group of people like uh, yourself. And, I mean, people all over the world are, you know, I don't know how many, but I know Brad's getting calls in the middle of the night from somebody in Australia or whatever that says, hey, that was an interesting podcast. Uh you know, can you come over and speak here? And it's like, yeah, I'll just jump in the plane there and drive 9,000 miles <laughs> right? and speak. But uh, it's, we get a lot of, a lot of comments. Yeah. About uh, because we try to just go all over the board, you know, and uh, bring in uh, people of, of all from all walks of life with whatever it might be. And uh, just to show that, uh, you know, when, no matter what it is that's going on, um, everybody has the at least the uh, opportunity to, to do what they want to do um, and not let things just, you know, just shut down and say, I, I've got this or I've got that, whether it's recent or whether it, they were born with it, that just say, well, I, I, I can't do this or I can't do that. And can't is the, the operative word. But right. uh, just to kind of like Brad's, Brad's the cheerleader really for Look, use the talents that you have and not the ones that you don't have. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, don't worry about what you can't do or what you can't say, but use what you have, you know, and at least use the positive spin on it. And Brad, you've always been good at that, at taking a look at it that way. I try. Because <laughs> so life, life is, throws you a lot of curveballs anyway, so you have to try to be, look on the bright side of life. Well, you know, and you can't take life for granted, you know, Brad, in all honesty, and you too, Greg, every, we can all end up in a wheelchair at any moment, you know, at oh, yeah. any second. And I guess maybe that's my talent. I don't know if it's a talent, but maybe one of my strong qualities. Having a disability, I have the empathy for people who have disabilities. You know, I think that's why working in this kind of work is my niche. I know what it's like not to be at your full potential have to rely on people, you know, I get it. So I can relate on a different level, of course, but I understand. And I can say I understand because I have a vision disability. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a perfect, uh, perfect way to say it because you're in a perfect uh, vocation there because you could basically just draw on, on, you know, what you feel, what you what you live with. So kind of the same thing, uh, you know, with Brad and what he's doing with his nonprofit and and kind of what I'm doing by 
you know, providing access uh, for most of the businesses, access for wheelchair users. So uh, saying, well, I use it because I'm in a wheelchair. And so, yeah, you're right. Having that empathy uh, is a lot easier when you, you know, when you're dealing with something yourself and you can just kind of help share, you know, that, uh, right. that, uh, that outlook with people. So. Yep. I have a question just off the top of my head. I don't mean to throw you a curveball, Doc, but um, with your uh, doctorate degree, uh, what you're doing now, that doesn't really match what your doctorate degree is, does it? I mean, well, kind of. So uh, my PhD is in public health. And when people think of public health, yes, it's the health of the public. It's your immunizations. It's your tobacco use, you know, that kind of thing, um, the seatbelt laws, but there's also kind of a flip side of it because a big part of public health is the vulnerable groups and populations and people with disabilities is one of the biggest vulnerable groups along with women and minority groups. So I'm just not your conventional public health person, I'm kind of the behind, you know, not behind the scenes, but the less talked about areas of public health. Because when you think of people with a disability or a minority or a woman, you know, what's what's your access to health care? You know, like Brad, you being in a wheelchair, it's harder for you to get to your doctor's appointments. So that's all public health. You know, I'm just not your typical public health, here comes the flu shot clinic kind of person. Okay, I was, I was just curious, I, when, I, when I see a person that has a doctorate degree, they're usually a professor or, you know, written a book and going around the country um, doing their message, you know, say, um, talking about what their message is, what they want to get out there and educate the public. You know, my doctorate was a personal goal. Since I've been a little girl, I always said I was going to be a doctor of some sort. Wow. Um, I had one professor tell me I'd never make it. So that stuck in the back of my mind. Yep. And I got it. That's that's motivation enough, isn't it? Someone tells you, yeah, I, I don't think you're going to work out. Or I don't think you're going to be able to walk again. Or what makes you think you're going to walk again? I mean, some, one doctor told me that, so I fired him. Uh, he after. does not have empathy. See, Greg, he did not have empathy. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. I said I don't know if it's that your way of motivating me, but as a, as my physical doctor, now I'm going to have to have you for you know a long, long time. And I just, I mean, you kind of just brought me down there, and uh, so yeah, you just watch what'll happen, type thing. You know, you've got Debbie Downers and negative Nancy's and people that uh, are more than happy to tell you uh, it, you're not good enough or you, it's not going to work or you can't do it or it's not likely you'll succeed or come out and just say, you know what, you're going to you're going to fail or why do you try or, you know, all kinds of th- all kinds of things like that. But but uh, to the right people, that just adds a little bit more, uh, you know, incentive or uh, drive, you know, willpower. Right. Eventually, I would like to maybe teach somewhere. I actually would like to teach on disabilities. But, you know, that sort of thing is not in the college curriculum. It's like a chapter in genetics or something, you know. Oh, yeah. It's just a little harder. 
that you could teach as far as the personal uh, experiences you have with us all? Yeah, you know, I could, but everybody wants that experience. And right now I am content where I'm at and doing what I'm doing. Maybe when I retire, if I retire someday. <laughs> yeah, Brad. Brad, that would be like... I don't think you're going to retire for a long time. No. Well, Brad, and that, that teaching and things, you know, that would be, you know, in what environment, you know, you got to consider if it's a professional or school right. environment. Right. I mean, they don't really, they, they're not really on the ball. You know, they're not really, haven't really progressed enough to, to bring this type of topic into the mainstream, you know, yeah, like, yeah, like, like Doc's Edge, it's, you know, it's a chapter in genetics or something that really doesn't relate, you know, to the subject of disabilities. Well, with that being said, though, I think people, it's come a long way. Like they're even making advertisements and t-shirts about autism. So it's because, uh, let's be honest, disabilities are increasing. You know, eventually they're saying one in 20 kids are going to have autism. So it just blows my mind. And that makes you wonder why. Yes. Our environment, is it our processed foods? Something's happening, you know. I, yeah, I, I mentioned that to a friend the other day. I said, you know, I don't know how we got on the subject of autism, but I said it used to be like one in, I don't know, 10,000 or something. And I said, then it was one in X and now it's one in Y. And it's like, why? Why in the, in the autism spectrum? is huge as far as what forms or uh, severities or whatever that's just very complex for the spectrum and you do have to wonder why why are our kids getting autism and i you know whether you're ever going to find out or whether somebody's just not showing all the cards well something clearly is going on unless you know, back in the day, there wasn't social media, there wasn't TV. If they were having disabled kids, they just stayed on the farm, you know, so maybe that could be. I suppose some of that comes into play, but it just seems like even as we go from year to year, I mean, you know, even five years ago, look at the numbers, how they've changed. And it's like something is making this progress at a rate that is concerning. Yeah, and it should be. <laughs> Really and, and maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's just God's way of saying, I still have some, some sort of uh, way to um, educate the public. I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird, but you're right. It, it's, it's uh, something's going on. Either it's coming down from our, you know, in the whole food chain that we are eating. Yep. I don't know if, if the United States has a higher rate than other countries. I don't know that to be the case or not, but. Well, even look at cancer. Look at how cancer has, you know, growing up. Uh, yeah, you heard of that rare person who had cancer. But nowadays, I mean, people in their 30s, 40s dying of cancer. Because you know, cancer is probably the only thing that does not discriminate, you know. Mm -hmm. it's something's happening yeah and you and even kids you know the small babies and yeah. small children and it's like yeah you're right it's more uh, it's more commonplace than it used to be it used to be like oh my god you know i don't know anybody who's ever even had cancer you know and before but now 
now you probably do know somebody either personally or closely or somebody who died for, for you know from it that was a friend or somebody that you had met before or somebody you knew about or I mean, it just seems that uh, it's getting more more rampant, more prevalent. Um, right. Dr. Foster, do you think do you think education as far as the dis disability com uh, community is, is helpful as far as you your uh, your perspective? Do you think education is a, is the way to go, or do you think there's other ways we can? Uh, Get the word out to kind of teach the public. You know, I think people need to be educated. You know, it's not like you guys you asked to be in a wheelchair. It's not like I asked to not be able to see. So I think people just need to understand that disabilities happen. They've been around from the beginning of time, you know, and people just need to know, have more knowledge about it. You know, because even nowadays, I can take another client who's in a wheelchair to Walmart, and the clerks won't even look at them in the wheelchair. They'll ask me all the questions because mm. they just automatically assume because they're in a wheelchair, they must not be competent enough to answer questions. Well, that's not the case. Yeah, they must be feeble-minded, you know. Yeah. That, that happens to me at Walmart quite a bit. That's very, that's very, you. very disrespectful because, you know, I didn't fall on my head or whatever. Well, and the thing is, and if, if they haven't been taught, like me, my close cousin had Down syndrome. So oh. I grew up with a disability in the family, you know, that kind of thing. But if people have not been taught, they haven't been educated, they're not going to, to understand, really. No, I think it's, I think it's awareness, continuing awareness, uh, which, depending upon the disability, you know, they're all making good strides and just getting the word out, uh, more education, more awareness, more research in some cases. And um, I think no, I, that's just as a continuing uh, battle and ongoing uh, chore. And I do think they've come like in the schools, you know, back in the 80s, I didn't have an IEP. And now if you have a speech uh, disability, hearing, vision, you get that help that you needed. I did not have that in the 80s. I had to sit in the front row so I could see the board. Yeah. I had to have copies made of the notes if I still couldn't see the board. Yeah. You know, I, I had to learn to guess. You know, I didn't have that support. So I do think that has come quite a ways that the kids are getting this support in school. Oh, sure. Yeah. With along with the mainstreaming of you know, integrating more, you know, more and more integration of the disabilities and the kids uh, in school comes the uh, programs for that individual, that individual help that otherwise would be, uh, you can't just throw them in there and then just hope for the best, you know. Right. I mean, because really, let's be honest, disabilities mm -hmm. is just going to continue to be here. They're not going to go away. No, they're not going to go away and there's going to be more and different ones, you know, that uh, are always going to be popping up. So, Right. Well, Brad, do you have any, uh, any closing comments or anything uh, for Dr. Morgan or what are you, what are your thoughts, Bradley? Well, I, I know uh, Dr. Morgan's going to come over to my house on Saturday, so I can't wait to see her. Yeah, but um, uh, I'm just... I'm just, I still think that 
each, each uh, person that's in a chair, like your situation, Greg, is different than mine. So we have more of a more of a situation where each individual's different experiences. And so um, as far as that's concerned, we each can tell our own little story and, and hopefully from there we can educate some people. So, you know, and Morgan's got their own story. So we should all get together and do one big, you know, one big company of speakers, like a speaking bureau for handicapped individuals and go out and educate in all 50 states. That, that would be, be yeah, that would be fun. That'd be good fun to have a big old contingent, and that's what yeah, we did. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be cool? Uh, I don't know what you think about that, but mm, I thought about that for the last week or two. That's your that's your dream, isn't it? So, someday maybe it'll come true. A lot of people didn't think I could start the nonprofit either, but I don't think a lot of them think me too seriously. So I think you'll get I it. I think week. you'll make it happen. It just might take time, Brad. We need patience, remember. Well, thanks for having me, Brad. Thanks for asking. I hope I answered your questions right. And yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, had some laughs. I mean, uh, it was eye-opening, educating, and it's just uh, just fun to visit with people that are that have a different challenge than you do, you know. And uh, so, and thanks for coming once again. I think people are going to get a, a lot of education out of it here in the states and beyond so i should give her i should give people your number we don't need to call anybody me at three in the morning well bradley do you want to go ahead and sign us off sure thanks guys thank you um morgan for having a great time and you're a great guest we'll see you later greg um, thanks for listening to another episode of Living with a Disability No Big Deal podcast. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. You too. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living with a Disability No Big Deal. Sponsored by Rolleramp, this podcast features Brad Gabrielson, who encourages everyone with a disability to live life to the fullest. RollerRamp is a global company based in North Dakota dedicated to helping people find solutions to accessibility needs. We hope you'll join us again next time on Living with a Disability, No Big Deal.